Ecclesiastes chapter 3 for our study this morning. Time is a little bit of a mystery. Sometimes it seems that time goes very, very slow. But then other times it seems to go very fast. In this section of Ecclesiastes, we see that God is the one who has appointed times and seasons. There'll be a time of gain, a time of loss, a time of grief, a a time of, of laughter. Sometimes these seasons will last long, sometimes they'll last short. Oftentimes, very quickly, we'll go from one season to another. God has put seasons in creation and nature. He's also put seasons in our lives. So we're going to examine the matter of time and see that God is the master of time. God is the one who is in control of time. Verse 1, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under the sun. So to everything there is a season. And in those seasons, there's a purpose under heaven. God has designed these different seasons, this time to prosper and this time to also have difficulty in our lives. We're going to discover that there's 14 statements that seem to contrast each other. Verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. Isn't that true? There's a appointed time. There's an exact moment to be born. A highlight of my life uh, was seeing my four children come into this world. There's nothing quite like it. What a joy. And God had an ordained moment for each of them to enter into this world. There is definitely a time to be born. But there's also a time to die. Both are in God's hands. God's the author of life, and God also ushers us into eternity. Both of these are out of our control. You can't control the the birth as a child. God is the one that ordains that and brings that into to be. But also our death. We don't know when our death is coming. We don't know when that season, that time, that moment of entering into eternity is going to take place. And there's a time for both. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. There's a time to plant and there's also a time to harvest. We think of the growing season here in Colorado. It's extremely short, isn't it? If you try to plant before Mother's Day, there's a good chance that we're going to have a late May frost and you're going to have your crop destroyed. But there is a moment in time there to be able to plant. And then there's a time of harvest. If you don't plant, you don't harvest. Isn't that true? In our lives, there's a time to plant. And you may be in that season of planting, Maybe you're pursuing education and you're planting for a future harvest. Maybe in your family, your family's young, you're new in your marriage. You're new with young children. It's a time of planting. Maybe in your relationship with the Lord, you're, you're planting. Hopefully we're always planting. Hopefully the seed of God's word's always getting planted in our hearts and our lives. Don't give up on that work of planting. It's the season that God has you in. And then there will be a season of harvest. There will come a time where you're so thankful that you invested in the word, that you invested in your family, that you invested in hard work. Harvest doesn't seem like it would be work, but it is. If you've ever planted a garden, it seems that it's hard to make the time to harvest the things that you have planted. It tends to come in abundance. So you've got more cucumbers, more zucchini than you know what to do with, If you don't get out there and pick it, harvest it, 
it goes bad pretty quickly. And there'll be times in our lives where it's time of harvest. If you watch farmers and it's that moment in time where they've got to get their crops in, they're going to do whatever possible, long days, get up really early, stay up really late to be able to harvest. Are you in a time of harvest? Has God blessed you? Maybe you have a lot of work and you know this is a unique moment in time. It's not going to last forever, so I need to take advantage of it. It is a a time of harvest. Sometimes in people's lives, we can sense that it's a moment of harvest. Somebody's been planting and sharing Jesus with them. Somebody's been praying for them, and now we're on the other end of it, and we get to harvest the spiritual fruit, and that's worth taking the time, isn't it? That's worth saying, "I, I need to slow down my schedule, I need to let my agenda go. God's doing a work in this person's life. It's a moment of harvest. So there's seasons of both in our lives. A time to kill and a time to heal. This is a little bit surprising to us that Solomon would write that there is a time to kill. In the Hebrew language, there's two different words for murder and to kill. And he uses not the word for murder here. He's not speaking of murder. He's not saying that there's a time to murder someone. Through the scope of scripture, we do see capital punishment. We see God instituting that in his justice. But that comes through the government that God has set up. That doesn't come through our own hands. There is a time to stand up against evil in war. And that results in killing as well. And there's a time to kill. There's a, a space and time to kill. But please don't misunderstand this to take this in your own hands. One of the things that aggravates me personally is when so-called Christians try to kill in the name of Jesus, right? They're they're saying, I'm going to address this on my own outside of the systems of justice that God has set up, and they murder and they take someone's life. But there's also a time to heal. There's a season to heal. We've all been part of that. If you break a bone, there's a time to heal. If you get some stitches, there's, there's a time to heal. And that can be frustrating. Maybe you're going through that. Something's gone on with your body physically and the doctor says, you're going to need some rest. No, not rest. Not slow down. Not a time to heal. But it's wise to recognize, I'm in this season. I need to heal. I need to rest. Also in our lives, sometimes we get hurt through relationships. We go through a time of harvest that's very busy. And God says, you need a a time to rest and to recognize, I'm not all right in here, in my soul, in my heart. I'm broken. I need a time to heal. I need my good shepherd to lead me by still waters to be able to restore my soul. Does that minister to you this morning? Is, Is God identifying, hey, you're in the season of healing. It's time to receive that healing. Verse three, there's a time to break down and a time to build up. Oftentimes, great works of construction begin with deconstruction, don't they? In order for this building to go up, an old building has to be tore down. In order for that bathroom to be remodeled, there has to be deconstruction that takes place. There's a time to tear down so that there can be a time to build. God also in our lives will allow us to be tore down so that we can be built up. But he's always tearing us down so that he can build us up. But the work that he wants to do can't be done if this old stuff remains. He also does it in our church. There's times where God in his control 
will bust apart a particular ministry. And we're looking at this going, God, why is this happening in our church? We need this ministry. We need this children's ministry, this youth ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, small groups. And God's saying, I'm going to bust this apart right now. What, what are you doing? He's doing it for the purpose that he knows that it needs to be rebuilt. So are you in a time in your life, a season of your life where things are getting tore down? It's because God wants to build up. He's in that process of, of rebuilding. I love that about the Lord. A time to weep, a, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. It seems from my observation in our culture, we don't know how to weep and mourn. Even inside of the body of Christ. I think there's a misunderstanding when there's a tough season or the loss of a loved one that somehow as Christians, we're not supposed to grieve. That if I'm close with the Lord and I'm strong in the Lord and a loved one has passed away, I know that they're in heaven, that there's no room for grief in my heart and life. Do you ever find that in scripture where God tells us not to grieve? You don't. What you do find is God says our grief is different than those that don't know the Lord because we have hope in our grief. We have the reality of heaven and eternity and so not all is lost in our grief but it's unhealthy for us to not grieve when there's appropriate sorrow in our lives. But what do we do? We just keep going. We put on the tough guy face, the tough girl face. We say, I'm just gonna motor on. I'm just gonna pull myself up by the bootstraps and pretend like nothing happened. How healthy is that, right? Then that pain just smacks you over the head and completely wipes you out. And God says, there's a season to mourn. There is a, a time to weep. And oftentimes when we slow down and we weep and we mourn, then God ministers to us. And that looks different for everybody. Some people can really be mourning without shedding a tear, can't they? And then other people's, the, the tears come. But it's important to recognize this is a time to weep. This is a time to mourn. But then also there's a time to laugh and a time to dance. For some of you, you're very stoic. And if you're having a great day or a bad day, nobody knows, right? And there's a good aspect to that. You know, you walk in consistency. You walk in sober-mindedness. But church, there's a time to laugh. And there's a time to dance. There's a time to have a good time and to recognize God is blessed and he's worked. Let your hair down even if you don't have any, right? I mean, the Rockies are in contention to win their division. Celebrate. That's re God's alive in Colorado. There's miracles that are, that are taking place, right? <laughs> I didn't know the Rockies really existed till here recently. But what's the joy in your life? You know, where is God providing? Where is he showing more of himself? Laugh, dance, celebrate. There's a season, there's a time where it's appropriate to celebrate the Lord and to celebrate what he is, is doing in our lives. In verse 5, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a, time from, and a time to refrain from embracing. It seems to be that Solomon in verse 5 is speaking of relationships. We know that the children of Israel would gather stones to stone someone to death if there was 
capital punishment. At this time, a stone would be a weapon. You know, this would, would be similar to, hey, there's a time for self-defense. He's saying there, there's a time to gather stones. There's a time to lovingly protect your, your family against evil. But then there's a, a time to put the stones down. Sometimes that's difficult for us to be able to decipher. It's appropriate that there's a season, there's a time to embrace someone, but there's also a time to refrain from embracing. And this seems to be unloving to us, but sometimes God's love is tough. And it says, look, because of what you're doing, I can't continue to embrace you. Don't misunderstand. I love you. I'm there for you. But there has to be an honest conversation about what is taking place in your heart, in your life. God calls the church as a whole to, at times, operate in church discipline, Matthew 18. It gives us this process. If a believer is in unrepentant sin, we go to them as a brother or sister in Christ. If there's no repentance, the whole purpose is to win a brother. Then bring two or three other believers. If that doesn't result in repentance, bring it before the church, and then the church comes and, and brings it before them. If they're still unrepentant, then God says for them not to be in the fellowship of believers, and we go, whoa, what is that? That sounds like a time from refraining, but it's all for the purpose of repentance. We think of Joseph, right, and the time with his brothers. His brothers sold him as a slave. Pretty big deal, right? Come back into his life while he's in Egypt, and Joseph didn't immediately go to embracing. He waited, he waited to see if their hearts had changed, if he could see that in their actions. And when he saw it in their actions, then he was very quick to embrace. He wasn't bitter. He always maintained a heart of forgiveness. He was ready to embrace again, but there's a moment to embrace, and there's a time when it's appropriate to refrain embracing. I'd encourage you, if you find yourself in that season where you think it's right to refrain from embracing, slow way down. Make sure it's not bitterness. Make sure it's not vengeance. Get in God's word. Get some godly counsel. Make sure that it's be, being done in love because we can too quickly get to that place of saying this is a time from refraining from embracing. This is going to be the minority of experiences in our lives. You know, this isn't going to be the majority of times. In verse 6, a time to gain, a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to throw away. A time to gain and a time to lose. There will be those moments in our lives where God blesses and we gain. You gain financially. You gain relationally. You're gaining in physical strength. But then there's other seasons of loss. And we can't control either. We're really not in control of the gain, even though we think so. And we're not in control of the loss. God in his sovereign will for our lives sees that there's these different seasons of gaining and there's these different seasons of losing. Be encouraged if you're in a season of loss, most of the time it is a season. You don't stay in a place of loss most of the time for 90 years. It ebbs and flows. There'll be maybe long seasons of loss, but then there's going to be some long seasons of God blessing as well. He's blessing in both seasons, right? So if you're in a time of loss, no, it, it is going to turn around, most likely, and there is going to be a season of gaining once again. This is interesting in, verse, interesting in verse 6, a time to keep and a time to throw away. One of the things that 
I instituted when I first started senior pastoring was pitch it day for the staff, for us as a staff. Like, there are some nooks and crannies in this church where we store stuff, and it's just like in a home, right? Where it doesn't look quite as pretty as the sanctuary right now. And it just piles up. And so we have one day a year as a staff where we just go through the closets and storage areas and what do we need to keep and what do we need to throw away. And that's really interesting to watch everybody's personalities, right? Because inevitably, you've got some keepers on staff. They're, they're like, you know, we used this in 1995 and we might need it in 2025, so we better keep this thing, right? We need to be be good, good stewards. And then you got the other voice that's going, you know, space is more valuable uh, than this particular thing. And, and we, we need the space, so it's time to be able to pitch it. And there's a balance, isn't there? Because you know some people that are complete, throw it away, get rid of it, get, give it away. And then others that will store stuff to an unreasonable point in time. <laughs> but also, this is in our lives, you know, there's a time to let things go. Is it, are you in a season where God's saying discern that it's time to let something go? Is it time to hold on to something? Sometimes we're too quick to say, I'm done with this. I'm done with this job. I'm done with this relationship. I'm done with this church. God says, no, you need, you need to hold on to this. So there's great wisdom to seek the Holy Spirit to identify what season that we're in. There's a time to tear in verse 7 and a time to sow. Time where something needs to be torn apart so that it can be put back together. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. Oh, if we could get that one, right? Okay, I need to listen. I just need to listen right now. Okay, I need to speak. God is wanting me to speak and allowing us this, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us in listening and speaking. A time to love and a time to hate. Why would there be a time to hate? Because there's wickedness, there's evil, there, there's injustice. And this is not speaking of something that's unrighteous, not, not that kind of hatred, but this is a, a righteous standing up against evil and saying, look, this is evil, and there's a time to hate this evil that has taken place. You know, we look at what's taken place in Colorado with the man that killed his wife and his two children. And there's a righteous indignation that says, I hate that, you know, that that is not right. Not for the purpose of condemnation, but the, for the purpose of, of justice and for wickedness to be stood up against. So we need to be careful that we don't mix the line and have it go into something that is evil. We don't get overcome with evil. But this is that response when we're exposed to evil to say, yes, there's a time to love, and then there's a time to stand up against wickedness and evil and injustice. A time for war and a time of peace. There will be a season of war and there'll be a season of peace. Why would there ever be war here on the earth? You know, because there's evil. Because there's men like Hitler in the world. Where countries and nations and people have to stand up and say, look, we're not going to just allow him to continue to go through and kill innocent people and cause genocide. A man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived in Germany during the time of Hitler. He was a pastor, 
had opportunity to come over to the United States, and he did, could have stayed in the United States while everything took place over in Germany, got on one of the last boats from the East Coast back to Germany because he was being stirred by God to not be silent. The church at the time in Germany was not standing up against Hitler, but he chose to voice his concern about Hitler. In this chaos, he started a seminary, a school of ministry, where they got back to the word of God, was training up leaders and even in the midst of this chaos, and his stand ultimately cost him his life. And this is what he said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Think about that. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. There's a a time for war, but then there's also a time for peace. In verse 9, what profit has the worker from that in which he labors? Solomon's conclusion of watching all of these seasons is saying, well, what's the point? What's the profit to all this? Because a time of peace always goes back to a time of war eventually. You know, a time of planting leads to the time of harvest, which ultimately leads to having to tear down and do the whole process all over again. So he's saying, what's the point? And thankfully in verse 10 and 11, he shows us the point. Shows us the master of time. I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. God has given us work to do. God is the one who's given us these different seasons in our lives. This is important to remember that God's ordained the work in our lives. You know, work in and of itself is not bad. Adam and Eve had work before the fall. And we see the fallen aspect of work. When we get to heaven, God's going to have stuff for us to do, right? It's not just sitting around with chubby angels for all of eternity. We get to rule and reign with Christ. And God in his love for us has occupied our time with God-given tasks. And here's the promise. Here's what I want you to lay hold of this morning. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God has done from beginning to end. God makes everything beautiful in its time. We're going through these seasons of joy and sorrow and loss and gain tearing down and building up. But God is working. He's the master of time. And he's making things beautiful in its time. We sang it this morning. Beautiful song of God's work of redemption in our lives. How many things have we looked back on and said, God, you made this beautiful. It was broken. It was messed up. It was hard. It was hurtful. But you brought me closer to Christ through this. Also, he's put eternity in our hearts. In everyone's hearts, even unbelievers. Societies throughout the world long for eternity, have teachings even inside of their culture that believe in an eternity, an eternal life. Where did that come from? God has done that. He has placed eternity in our hearts. All of time makes sense when we reflect upon eternity. This life starts to make sense as we reflect on eternity. He's put eternity in our hearts. And then the end of verse 11 says, we're not going to understand what God does. Who can understand the work that God does from beginning to end? Do we know what God's doing on an international scale in all of humanity? We know the ultimate end, but we don't understand it completely. 
can I fully comprehend what God is doing in my life and in my family? Absolutely not. You know, do I understand what God's doing in, in your hand, in your life? No. But we trust that his hand is upon our lives, that he's working even though we don't fully understand it. In verse 12, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives, rejoicing in the Lord and doing good. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor. It is a gift of God. So if the Lord allows us to labor, have some fruit, that's a gift from God. So enjoy it and be thankful for it. And this is an aspect of which Solomon is teaching us. How much are you thankful for what the Lord has provided and the ability to be able to enjoy it? If you're going to eat some good food today, enjoy it to the glory of God, right? If you had a nice cup of coffee this morning, enjoy it to the, to the glory of God. God has blessed you. you. You're able to work and there's been provision and you have the health to be able to enjoy it. Verse 14, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does it, that men should fear before him. God's work has the permanence that we're longing for. We're going through all of these seasons, things change, things come and go, but what God does, it lasts forever. He's the master of time. You can't add to what God does, and you can't take away from what God does. Salvation, you can't add to it. It's more than sufficient in the blood of Jesus. You can try to add to it, but it's not going to accomplish anything, and you can't take away from salvation. You may try, but you will not succeed. The gospel is the gospel. So where we find the value of time and the purpose of time is getting behind what God's doing, amen? If what he does lasts forever and you can't add to it or take away from it to say, God, I want to be about your work. I want to be about your will. I want to be about your agenda because what you do lasts forever. In verse 15, that which is has already been and what is to be has already been nothing original, and God requires an account of what is past. So our lives are accountable before him. Moreover, I saw under the sun in the place of judgment, wickedness was there, and in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. Places where there should be righteousness, there was wickedness. And this is disturbing to Solomon, it's disturbing to us as well. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a a time there for every purpose and for every good work. Interesting that Solomon would say God's going to judge the righteous and the wicked. Well, why would God need to judge the righteous? Because sometimes the righteous aren't as righteous as we may think. So it appears to be righteous. There's actually wickedness inside of that. And so God's going to judge that. He knows that. And sometimes what we think is wicked and what we put a label on as being wicked, we don't fully understand. And God sees the, the hearts of men, and he's the ultimate judge. He judges the righteous and the wicked. Gets interesting here at the end of the chapter. I said in my heart concerning the conditions of the sons of men, God tests them that they may see that they themselves are like animals. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely... They all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust. 
and all return to dust. Who knows the spirits of the sons of men, which go upward, and the spirit of the animal, which goes down to earth. What in the world is Solomon saying now, right? Solomon is the ultimate professor. You ever had a college professor or a high school teacher? It really makes you think through difficult questions. And no matter how you answered, you were always wrong. Because you didn't get the answer that they were, were wanting. This is a very humanistic view that we're just the same as animals. We have the same destiny as animals. When we, we die, we end up in the dust just like the animals. So, so what's the point, right? But remember, Solomon is wanting us to see where real value is by showing us where there's emptiness. He's exposing the lies here. Because we know from all of Scripture that we're not like the animals. That the soul of man is eternal. Jesus made that very clear in, in John 3. He says, if you believe, unto everlasting life. But if you don't believe, unto contempt. Everyone's going to live for eternity. The question is just location. Heaven or hell. But if you don't believe in eternity, if you think your existence is done as soon as you die here, then what's the point, right? I'm not accountable to God. There's nothing to really live for. There's nothing to be able to invest in. Verse 22, so I perceive that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own work, for that is his heritage. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? So definitely rejoicing in our work is a big part of the equation, but also because of verse 11, we know that we can make sense of time through the light of eternity. So quickly as we close this morning, in light of eternity, think about our lives through the perspective of eternity. May God give us a greater understanding of eternity. First, this life is really short. It's extremely short, isn't it? When I don't think about eternity, I go, man, this is going to last forever. This just goes on and on and on. But when we think about eternity with the Lord, this life is a vapor, isn't it? So there's different seasons that God ordains. Ultimately, it's going to end in being in the presence of the Lord. On Wednesday nights, we're studying the book of Revelation. Last week, we were at the marriage feast of the Lamb. This Wednesday night, we're going to be looking at the new Jerusalem. And I was really struck and hit by everything that I long for is going to be made right at the marriage feast of the Lamb. Jesus told us, and he said, don't let your heart be troubled because I go to prepare a place for you. Eternity. We get a view of eternity and we go, I'm just passing through. Church, if you are in Christ, this is the worst it's ever going to get, right? Also, in light of eternity, we've received grace upon grace. We've received abundant grace. Grace in this life, to be saved, to have our sins forgiven, but grace in the next life to be in heaven, to be the children of God, to be joint heirs with Christ. Peter wrote and said, there's a grace that is revealed when we see Christ. We're going to understand grace in a full greater way when we're with Christ and we're in eternity. In light of eternity, our mission becomes really clear. Church, our days are not purposeless. Outside of Christ, they are, but inside of Christ, we have clarity. We know exactly why we're here. We're here to know Jesus, to know him in a greater way. Five months from now, I hope we know Christ in a greater way. Five years from now, 
closer to Christ, new understanding of Christ. If God gives us a bunch more time here on this earth, I hope that I know Christ in a greater way. Jesus, his life, knowing him, following him. But also to share Jesus with others. That's why we're here. Jesus wants people to know him, to have the opportunity to hear the gospel. Guys, our city is growing. I don't drive on Powers Boulevard that often. Praise the Lord. Thankful for that, right? But yesterday, I was coming to the church from east of Monument, did a wedding, and drove down Highway 83, caught Powers there, Interquest and Powers, and drove down to Stetson Hills, and boom, down to the church pretty quick. But I hadn't been on that north end of Powers in a while, and it's crazy town up there. I was like, what is this? There's a new super target in Colorado Springs, right? There's two on Powers Boulevard. And I think I'd briefly seen it before, but it caught my attention. And all these apartments that are, that are going up and the crazy building that's taking place uh, in our city. And if you've lived here for a while, sometimes you can be kind of bummed about it. You can be like, what's happening to my city, right? Well, it's not our city. It's God's city. God's bringing us opportunities to love people, to befriend them, and to share the gospel with them. It's hard to move to a new city and make new relationships. You know where all the growth is coming from? Everybody's moving here to smoke pot, right? It's like that's what we're doing in Colorado, right? It's not all of it, but it's part of it, and I'm not happy about that. It's like, what in the world? What were we thinking when we voted? Did you know that passed by 2%? But I can get going on that. But to see this through a kingdom's perspective, a bunch of people are here that are searching, aren't they? And ultimately trying to find meaning in in pot. It's not going to fulfill. It's not going to satisfy. And it's an opportunity to love and to reach out with the love of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, we feel like God can't use us. He can't use me, right? I have my own struggles, my, my own difficulties, But through the power of the Holy Spirit, God desires to use us to be able to share the love of Jesus Christ. And that's our mission. To say, okay, God, I'm going through my days. I work at this place. I live in this neighborhood. I live in this apartment for the purpose of knowing you and also for the purpose of sharing with others. Now, I can share this with you this morning about living in the light of eternity, but I lose sight of it. In the midst of daily challenges and struggles, oftentimes it goes into survival mode, doesn't it? Where it's like, I just got to get through today. I got to get through the laundry. I got to get through the bills. And to say, Lord, would you help us? See, time's not wasted. You're the master of time. I want to know you and I want to be used by you. Let's pray together and let's stand and pray together. Jesus, we thank you for heaven. We thank you for eternal life that is so freely given as we believe in Christ. God, but so many times as your children, we lose sight of that promise. Would you plant it deep within our hearts? Would you remind us as we go through the seasons of this life that you're the master of time, you're authoring, you're appointing those different seasons, you're making all things beautiful. We want to know you more. 
Give us a hunger for your word, for a relationship with you. And God, we want to be used by you. We, we recognize that the city's changing. It's growing. Lord, you've planted us here for a purpose and help us to be able to reach out with your love and with your grace.